following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. What is up, everyone, and welcome to the Diabetes Podcast, where we discuss how to take control of your health and gain the freedom to live the life that you deserve. I'm Gary Pano, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Grady Donahoe, who is a board-certified chiropractic internist. Hey, Diabetes, we are back with another episode. Today, we are talking about sleep and how important it is and how it can affect things and how things can affect it. And sleep is something that both me and Garrett have a complicated relationship with, and to say the very least. Um, And Garrett's been um, kind of toying with this a lot lately. So that's kind of why we want to jump into this. um, Because there's a lot to talk about with it. So it's funny, yeah, that you said that I'm toying with it. uh, Because both on purpose and not on purpose. But as sometimes in life, you get in situations where there's just not enough hours in the day, even though I'm primed to sacrifice sleep. Yeah, uh, I literally, with everything going on, don't have an, physically enough time to do everything that I'm obligated to do. Mm-hmm. And we thought it was a good inspiration to say shame, shame to me and somewhat <laughs> you as well, because you're not sleeping a whole lot every now and then too, yeah. uh, with some goals and things you got going on these days. So, um, but the reason why sleep is so important, and I actually just sent a message to my endocrinologist just today, actually sending him my updated labs and saying what my own assessment was and my own blood sugar, but your sleep, if you sleep eight hours, a day, which is, you know, the average recommended amount for most people. You sleep eight hours, that's 33% of your day, right? So you're sleeping 33% of the day, and that's 33% of the day where you can't and you're not controlling your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And no matter what's going on, that's a large amount of what you would imagine CGM or on a graph, like a third of that information is uncontrollable. So leading into it is super important to before you go to bed, how you react afterwards. And just from a statistics, if you think about H1A1C, you know, HbA1c, that is a third of that number is your sleep. And yep. so if you try and change something like that number, your sleep is easily the number one most one thing to do would be the most efficient to change that number mm-hmm. simply because of the averages, right? Yeah, yeah it can so, have a big or at least a very significant effect on things. So if you're not able, I don't think control is maybe the right word, but um, that's a big portion that's not real time monitored. And so therefore mm-hmm. you're not like directly controlling it all the time, but you mm-hmm. can control it and can affect it. Um, mm-hmm. Again, like we say all the time, getting the data as much as you can. So ha- having a CGM is really, really helpful for the sleep portion of controlling your blood sugar because Even if you're waking up at night to check it, to make sure things are okay. One, not ideal to do that because you're breaking up your sleep and that can affect a lot of things, which we'll talk about more later. Um, But at the same time, 
you're still not going to get a great amount of data to be able to work off of efficiently and safely. Because if you're just checking it at one part of the night, well, you may be fine at that part of the night, but then shortly after that is when you finally crash or you finally spike. And that's where the problem is. It's not at that time mm-hmm. that you're checking it. So um, having a CGM really makes a big difference with this, with the sleep portion of your day. Uh, maybe not so much depending on what your habits are with checking your blood sugar and the rest of the day, cause you're awake and you can do those things, but through the night, it's really hard to monitor without a CGM there. And it's hard then to make the appropriate changes yep. before and after bed. Uh, you know, if you don't know what's even going on during mm-hmm. those times. And so, yeah, CGM is, is number one. And that's why number two, if you have an auto looping system, like you do with tandem or Medtronic pumps, if you are a pump user, partly why the A1C goes down is because there's an actual feedback and real time correction of nighttime blood sugar. Mm-hmm. And because that is a third of the time when, you know, you might have all the knowledge in the world, you might be a brainiac, you might have studied insulin sensitivity and have a PhD, but that information is useless because you're asleep and, <laughs> li- and you, <laughs> you can't use it. The brain is off. You don't have that information because it's not on. even even if you uh, are dreaming about correcting your blood sugar, that information is useless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a dream actually last night that I was arguing with some not a waiter or waitress i think it was like a barista over like a bill and charging our card twice i (laughs) i don't know i don't know why i even remember that dream from last night um but point is even if you have the information in your brain to correct your blood sugar you can't because you're asleep yeah um unless some people do actually have a problem which uh we won't talk about today uh with sleep walking and sleep dosing Ah, yes. Like that would be a super dangerous combination, right? Yeah. But uh, dialing it back in, the I, we kind of want to just set the framework of why it's so important is from a pure numbers and pure, you don't know what's going on. Uh, it's an easy way to fix or start to get better blood sugar numbers, understand your health if you have that data. And so sleep is just, if you can dial this in, this will be a game changer when it comes to your overall health as a type one diabetic. Mm-hmm. 100% because it really helps. And sometimes for me, I've noticed that it really helps set the tone for the next day too. Cause my blood mm. sugars kind of all over the place at night, then tends to be a little bit all over the place the next day too. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, I may have a wake up, to go to the bathroom because really my blood sugar is high. Usually when I wake up to go to the bathroom, a lot of times I'm thinking, I think I'm probably high is why I'm, mm-hmm. I need, I'm needing to go to the bathroom. And so right. that's usually my go-to when I wake up and have to go to the bathroom. I'm like, I'm going to check my blood sugar because I want to make sure that I don't just go back to sleep and maintain a high and then have to keep waking up to go to the bathroom. Mm. And then well, go ahead. Go out. Well, I was going to say, a second, an interesting part of that mechanism, obviously, we already have discussed and talked about why you urinate and why you expel urine with high blood sugar, right? Mm-hmm. So that's partly why you wake up. Uh, but sleep 
and waking up and urine production is mostly affected by the quality of sleep in your REM. Mm -hmm. And so if your blood sugar is higher at night, you're not getting in deeper REM. Yeah. And if you're not in deeper REM, you're not uh, producing, you know, there's the ratios of magnesium and vitamin D and the hyperglycemia ends up then affecting what's called your pituitary gland Mm -hmm. in your brain. And that affects the hormone called vasopressin. And so by having higher blood sugar, a secondary mechanism in which you get up to urinate in the middle of the night is because you actually end up uh, inhibiting vasopressin, which would normally stop your urine production Mm -hmm. because you're inhibiting the inhibitor. You're no longer, you're allowing your body to produce urine at a much faster rate. And then you get the signal to get up. So not only do your kidneys say urinate, but then your brain literally doesn't have the hormone that's supposed to produce at night to help you stop going to the bathroom. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of a big conundrum and like a, a loop that, Mm -hmm. that just doesn't, doesn't allow you to get good sleep. Right. Um, But then at the same time, then you can, you see a high blood sugar when you do check it and then you're like, Oh crap. So then you take, you know, a bunch of insulin, sometimes you take too much insulin, um, yeah. whether that's because you're just like so groggy and drowsy that you take the wrong amount or you're just like you rage bolus and, and take too, mm-hmm. too much. Um, and then you crash and then end up having to wake up shortly thereafter. And then when you crash like that, you have all this cortisol and adrenaline running because your body's waking you up to go eat something and, and raise your blood sugar. And that takes a long time or at least what seems like usually a long time for that to come back down, get your brain and body calm again. So you can actually fall asleep again. So that really can, can mess your mess up your sleep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh and you already started highlighting it, the, the, the yo-yo effect that happens at night. Right. And so this is one question that uh, I think maybe you and I can go back and forth on. I think the ultimate answer is they're both bad, but is it in your, in your thought, if to have slightly lower blood sugar at night where you're still chronically asleep or, or I guess chronically low throughout the night, you know, and having low blood sugar at the night, is that end up being uh, more disturbing to your sleep than higher blood sugar? You know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Like you said, ultimately both are not good. You're not going to get great sleep with either one. However, looking at the two, I would say being low is much worse at night than being high. I mean, you have several different reasons for that because you have the fact that being low is a little bit more dangerous than being high. So like, yeah, you're flirting with danger there, but from a sleep, a pure, pure sleep aspect, then you have to think about like what I just talked about, the adrenaline and the cortisol mm-hmm. that's, that's going to be coursing through your body. So even if you are able to sleep through that low, y- your ability to get into that deep REM is going to be very, very hard uh, mm-hmm. for your body to get there because he, you're basically almost at that waking point the whole night because your body's kind of trying to wake you up, but it's like, oh, we can get by, but we don't want to go much lower. Whereas with high blood sugar, you're going to sleep decently well, 
and decently through the night. But like I said, you may wake up to go to the bathroom several times and then that mm-hmm. impacts your sleep too. So ultimately both of them are going to impact your sleep negatively. However, if you have a choice, which neither is a great choice, but if you have a choice, higher is probably safer and a little bit less of an effect on your sleep. Yeah. I think when we were talking about um, heart rate variability with the, with the diabetic carnivore, he mentioned it and I've noticed it now too, with my heart rate variability scores with, um, you know, my monitor that I wear. Uh, I wish it auto programmed it where I could write in journal. Cause some of the auto programs were like, did you take a magnesium supplement? Yes, no. And then after so long, it will say, you know, your sleep's 38% efficient when you take 200 milligrams of magnesium at night, you know? Um, but that's only when you, it auto has yes or no questions. Mm-hmm. And I've reached out to this company and say, Hey, it'd be really great for your diabetic population. If you could have like an option where you say high blood sugar stable at, you know, high, high blood sugar stable, at no. And then you can actually really correlate without manually me doing it and not having as firm data of saying, you know, my low blood sugar affects my sleep this way. You know, I think it'd be super mm-hmm. cool. Oh yeah. Uh, Cause it, cause there's no real studies like that out there. Yeah. Um, it'd be, it'd but, be nice if they could like literally link, like link, sync up with your CGM mm-hmm. and like have the real time data. So like it could monitor your sleep in different ways, whether it's with your heart rate variability or whatever mm-hmm. and monitor it to where, you know, it was fine. And then boom, you kind of had a little bit of a dip. Mm-hmm. And then this is what happened to your body in these different ways. But mm-hmm. then when you got it back up, it was fine. Or you had an up and then it wasn't so good, but then it came back down. And then this happened. Mm-hmm. That would be really cool. Super awesome. Uh, the issue though, is from a couple of email exchanges with them is that because the CGMs are a FDA approved durable medical equipment, and these monitors are not, there is some FDA regulation on that that inhibits it. Wow. To actually sync up like that. Gosh darn it, FDA. <laughs> I actually know now one person that works for the FDA. Um, interesting stories, but nonetheless. Uh, but so we regress. But yeah, it would be super cool. But I, I think for my own empirical, you know, N equals one observations of myself, that chronically lower blood sugar at uh, even 70, 69, like stable at like 68 to 71 throughout the night, something like that, or 65 to 71 produces lower sleep recovery scores than if I was at 130 throughout the whole night. Mm. You know, both, I think on any given moment, like especially before a meal, 69, like that's lower, sure. But if you're not getting symptoms, it's like you're about to eat, like, you know, yeah. super big deal. Yeah. Uh, but or 130, like that's a good, sc- you know, that's a good, good blood sugar before a meal. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I get better if I'm stable around 130 ends up being better than stable around one, around 70 when it comes to my sleep scores. So that, that's an interesting thing. And don't you, Grady, actually have a story? I've never like woken up. And almost not woken up from a low blood sugar. Oh yeah. Don't yeah. you you, you want to share what uh what waking up with low blood sugar could be like? <laughs> yeah. So I mean I wake up with low blood sugar all the time, but um, don't tell the kids that. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's what the die buddies are becoming, the kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the only time I've ever had like a low blood sugar, quote unquote, event is during sleep. Because when I get low, um, when I'm awake, like I... I keep a lot of my awareness very well, even despite getting really, really low. Like I can, I can get really, really low and still be able to function at a pretty high level. Mm. So I've never had a problem while I'm awake. However, when you're asleep, a little bit harder to react. So, um, so when I quit football and for people who haven't been listening, um, I was, I played on the line. So I was a lot bigger back then. My diet was absolutely horrible. I was literally eating until I wanted to puke every single meal. So I was eating just a ton and eventually decided that I didn't want to do that anymore. So I quit football and then started eating like a normal human being Mm -hmm. and therefore started losing lots of weight. And at the same time, my insulin or obviously my blood sugars were coming down quite a bit. And so through that process, I was having lots and lots of lows very, very frequently. And like we've talked about in the past on, on previous podcasts, it's almost like a, you have that threshold of, of low and that threshold can change. Like just because you feel, you typically feel low at 60 doesn't mean you always feel that way. If you start having lots and lots of high blood sugars, you're going to start feeling low, maybe around 80. Or, 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 and the more that goes up, the more your threshold of feeling low goes up. Same thing with, with going down. So if you constantly are having all these lows, your threshold to feel low starts to get lower, lower, lower. And so that's what was happening with me is, you know, I would, I wouldn't feel really, really low. Like, okay, I need to drink something until about like 50, 40, maybe. Um, like I would still have some symptoms, like maybe around 60, but it wasn't like super bad where I'm like, Oh, I really need to go check something. It'd be like kind of at that threshold of like, eh, it's probably not too bad. And so, Mm -hmm. so as a result, like I was still getting lows at nights, um, and things like that and waking up just like I normally do. And, but it was just happening for a long period of time. So I can't tell you, it's been so far removed. I can't tell you how long this was going on, but it had to have been at least around six months, maybe, maybe not quite that long, but it it was several months that this was going on. So my threshold was getting lower and lower. And we went to, we went to like my, my cousin's graduation. So we went on vacation to Colorado essentially Mm -hmm. and went hiking with my cousin's like one of the nights we were there and blood sugar got low during the hike, obviously drank a lot of juice, then ate a bunch when I got home and we got home at fairly late at night. And of course we were with the cousins. So we stayed up pretty late too and went to bed. We were supposed to go golfing the next morning. And luckily there wasn't enough rooms in the house for me to sleep on a bed. So I slept on the couch in the living room and the living room was right next to the kitchen. So everybody's going to see me when they wake up and go eat breakfast, which was a good thing because, you know, I was supposed to go golfing with them that day. And I'm not a person that really like doesn't go and do things. If I'm too tired, like I will wake up 
and go golfing or I will wake up and do whatever everybody else is doing. Um, I'm not one of those people like, Oh, I'm too tired. I'm not going to go like, I'm going to go. And so essentially what was happening is they were trying to wake me up for breakfast. Wasn't really happening. I, it was kind of like one of those things where you have those people that are just in that really tired state and they're just like, uh, you know, moaning and, and whatnot. And, um, and so they just thought I was really tired. So mm-hmm. they just kept going through the day. They're about ready to leave to go golfing. And my uncle's like to my dad, he's like, I think you should probably check on, on Grady. Like, I don't, I don't think something's right. So then they like really tried to wake me up and I was still in that like zombie state of like, sure. not really with it. And they're like, uh, this is not good. So then they, they tried checking, <laughs> checking my blood sugar. You know, keep in mind, I literally have no memory of it and, or at least of what they were doing in this, um, at this time. And so like, I'm not even with it at all. And so they're trying to check my blood sugar, but like, apparently I was like fighting them, even though like there were, he's like, cause like at the time I was still a big guy and like, I was much stronger than most, yeah, 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 I was much stronger than, than, uh, most of them. However, Like I was so out of it. And plus, I mean, my blood sugar was so low that they're like, they could literally just put my hand, <laughs> push my arm down with like a finger. Um, and so they just like held me down and tried checking my blood sugar. And I don't know if they couldn't figure it out or what, but essentially they tried to get me to drink some juice and couldn't get me to drink juice. So then they just, they stuck me with the, uh, the glucagon pin and eventually i came out of it but like they got me into a chair and then what was the sugar do you you remember it was like i think by the time we were able to check it it was like in the 30s but um, i think it was much much lower and you weren't waking up like you were a zombie like you had no memory of this no memory of it all i just remember like sitting in the chair because i was in the couch sleeping and that's where the like all this took place and then I remember sitting in the chair, all of a sudden looking around and kind of coming to like, like I remember my eyes were open and then all of a sudden, like my brain finally was like, the reality comes mm-hmm. right at me and hits me right in the face. And I'm like, I started looking around, what happened? <laughs> and so they, they tell me that whole story. And then, wow. so obviously that was kind of a big wake up call. I'm like, all right, I really need to change my settings for my basal rate like mm-hmm. uh, drastically but then it ended up happening again like uh, a week or two later with, really? with where they had to use the glucagon yeah where they had to use the glucagon i didn't didn't wake up or, really i didn't yeah. know that part yeah so and this time it was just my mom that was home <laughs> mm. and my mom doesn't do well in in pressure, pressure situations like that i can see that about your mom yeah so she was like um my dad had gone to work and so she was like trying to get the needle <laughs> needle out and put it in and everything and eventually she like couldn't do it because there's mm. she's just too much stress so she called my dad he came and and he was able to do it and so i woke back up and whatever but afterwards we looked and the needle to put in to the vial of glucagon was just completely bent backwards. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. So, yeah. So it wasn't, uh, but then eventually we finally got that railed in and just like 
drastically like cut the basil like in half and then it was still a little bit high so we had to cut it down and leave a little bit more um, so but yeah i, I want to highlight a couple things about that story right so leading up to that event not the second one but the first one you were traveling in someplace new which mm-hmm. is a different environment which can make a, a diabetic um you know, if you're not familiar with the situation, it's just a little harder to control your blood sugar. Yeah. Right? There's just a lot more variables, a lot more chaos. Mm-hmm. In your life. So you're number one, you're in a more chaotic environment overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were hiking all day and fighting low blood sugars all day. Yep. So if you're hiking and doing that type of zone two uh, movement and more cardiovascular movement, um, you will have a temporary change in your insulin sensitivity and you'll have more GLUT4 translocation and more ability to use insulin. So whatever insulin you have in your body will be more efficient and therefore use the sugar in your, in your blood faster and have a higher chance of low blood sugar just mm-hmm. because of the activity you're doing, right? Yeah. So number two, you're, at, you're doing activities all day. And the third uh, thing was just that you've been saying, screw it. And not change your basal rates and just like comfortable with lows, too comfortable with lows. Mm-hmm. And and which created a perfect storm of um already kind of towing the line most nights, anyways, that just created this, you know, you were about to pass out. Like this, this is how type ones pass away and die. Yes. yes. Like this is like the amount of overuse of insulin while sleep or drunk or whatever, like this is. This is when it becomes a really serious condition mm-hmm. that's not, you don't mess around with. Yeah. And luckily you said, you know, you're on the couch and then opposed to being in a room with the door shut. Yeah. Right. And uh, that's why living alone as a diabetic can be scary or moving away from your folks. If you are a teenager uh, can be scary. Or like I said, just being by yourself can be, can be scary if you don't have roommates yeah. um, or some kind of partner that you're with. Uh, for those reasons that can't catch you. Like I, I remember uh, <laughs> it was like a day. I can't remember if you were sick or whatever, when we were living together, I hadn't seen you for a while. And then I like, just open the door, make sure uh, like, you're not just rotting away <laughs> yeah. in, in your bed being diabetic uh, to try to bring light to a serious matter. Yeah. But yeah, like um, that's, it's a good strategy if you do live by yourself. Cause my parents were really worried when I moved down to St. Louis to start chiropractic school, because I, I was going to be living by myself in a single bedroom apartment Mm -hmm. and you know, they wanted to get me a diabetic alert dog and and all this stuff. Yeah. And ultimately like I felt super comfortable being okay with that because like I said, like my blood sugar was a little bit more dialed in my basal rates were more dialed in. Um, But the strategy that I end up using often is like, recognizing when I start getting into that situation again. So like if I start getting lots of lows over and over again, and Mm -hmm. I recognize that I'm not feeling them when I should be. And it's like, by the time I actually check it, it's like maybe in the fifties or forties. And I'm like, all right, my body's getting way too used to these lows. And therefore Mm -hmm. I'm starting to get worried that I'm not going to wake myself up at night if I'm getting too low. And so therefore at those times, I just have, like, if I'm in a place by myself, I text somebody. So whether that's my mom or dad, or maybe a friend to say, if I don't text you every morning at this time, 
I want you to either come over and check on me or do something. You know, we have some sort of plan set in place um, to do that. And then when I feel like I'm getting out of that, I say, okay, I'm good now. Um, I'll let you know if something like this needs to happen again. But essentially having somewhat of a backup plan, if you are noticing, hey, I'm getting low, not really feeling it like I should be and or it's getting a little bit uncomfortable how low I am when I'm actually checking it now. Uh, it's a good idea to have those people that can check in on you or you can check in with them to make sure that you don't get caught in that situation where you don't wake up and then there's nobody there to then save you. No, oh, I love it. I think that's a really realistic suggestion. And in today's day and age, even if you might not have a close community around you, chances of you knowing somebody virtually that cares about you mm-hmm. is probably high, you know? And so I think that's a, a great strategy, especially if you're making that transition for the very first time. Uh, of living by yourself yeah um and that can put not only you at ease but all all those that care about you at ease part of your diabetic care team at ease Mm -hmm. um and i almost want to summarize this point in the story and this elaboration as uh like bullet point number two of why what and why it's important to consider sleep is that what you're doing during the day the day before or like the day before night (laughs) the The day leading up to your sleep yeah (laughs) so the activities and then what you're doing the day leading up to your slumber of that (laughs) night can fancy with the word slumber uh impacts the roll coaster or smoothness of that night right Mm -hmm. so uh with that type of statement what you do during the day impacts what happens at night uh you know we were kind of talking about the how this transition of low and insulin sensitivity and the dangers of low blood sugar but how can that look the other way around or maybe in third third and fourth categories you know what what else can a statement like that be true to yeah so it's like you gotta think about what is going to be affecting your blood sugar going into the night so you have like we talked about your the things that are going to impact insulin sensitivity so those are going to be activity like we talked about so if you had a high level high amount of activity relative to your normal day so some people have a high amount of activity every day so for them their basal rates are already dialed in for that so it's not a big deal for them however if you are a more sedentary person and or you just go and do something that's a lot more physical than you normally do that day you may think about doing things to help mitigate that drop that may end up happening in the night. Because oftentimes, especially if that activity is later in the day, your insulin sensitivity has now increased, meaning that you don't need as much insulin to have that same effect of lowering your blood sugar. And therefore, if you maintain the same level of basal rate that you always do, typically that means you're going to start dropping low. So you Mm -hmm. may play with those basal rates in the night and say, you know, I had a lot of activity today. Don't really want to drop low in the middle of the night. Cause I like my sleep. Then maybe you drop your, ins- your basal rates. And that's going to depend on every person, how much you want to drop that. And again, data is king and we want, we want more data to figure out how much we need to do that by, but that's something to think about as far as activity levels go. 
-hmm. And then at the same time, um, your diet for me, my diet is huge as far as going into my sleep. And I have different basal settings, uh, programmed in my pump that allow me to change based off of what my diet looks like that day. Because sometimes it's a fairly extreme change where I do somewhat of an intermittent fast where I stop eating around, you know, between one and 3 PM. And then there's other days where I'm not intermittent fasting. And so I'm eating later into the evening and that has a big impact on my insulin requirements through the night. And so, um, like when I do that intermittent fasting, I can drop my insulin almost in half at night because I don't need nearly as much. And then, um, on those days that I eat later, later at night, I need to make sure I change those settings. So that way I'm not also really high now, uh, when I, when I sleep, therefore waking up more and more. So you have to think about what your day has looked like and how that's going to then affect your sleep before you go and go off on your own and unmonitor your diabetes for eight hours or, or however long right. you're sleeping. Yeah. That's a good way to frame it too. From the very first thing that we said, you are then giving a complete control to the random randomness of diabetes. If you're not preparing in these ways mm. and no one is it checking in on that. And that is something that requires constant check-in. So that's a great way to put that, that first point. Uh, and I, I want to comment the first thing you said, uh, or the summary of the first thing, you know, being aware of your basal rate and insulin sensitivities throughout the day in general, right. Mm -hmm. And not being yeah. afraid to change those, um, you know, that could be something really difficult for a, a newly diagnosed type one diabetic. Um, somebody who was like, uh, like Brendan Ma, who was like a fragile diabetic or somebody who has like, they're crazy up and down levels all the time, or, you know, somebody who is so just learning, uh, on and starting their diabetes education journey, where it's like, there's so much going on. So, um, this is, this is literally the job or one of the main jobs of the endocrinologist in the type one diabetics. Uh, life. And unfortunately, you can't always be with your endo. So when you get to a point of comfortability as a type one diabetic, these should be things that you do do by yourself and, and experiment by yourself. This is when the ultimate level of, of diabetes experiment and control get into if you're changing your basal rate. Now, obviously, this is a lot to do with pump users. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this can be toyed with a little bit more with dosing of long acting insulin, but that's even more tricky, mm -hmm. but that's, this is by far the biggest advantage of using a pump is something like this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, a great point about like you ultimately probably need to take control. I shouldn't say probably you ultimately need to take control of your diabetes. And therefore you need to start becoming comfortable with being able to change the settings on your pump. Cause that's what got me into trouble with that whole story is that mm. I was so programmed into thinking that I had to wait for my endocrinologist to make these changes mm -hmm. that I didn't really make these changes until something like extreme like this happened. And I'm like, I have to make these changes. Like, right. Like I'm not going to survive the next month if I don't. So, um, so I think that was a big aha moment for me is like, I have to do this by myself. Like I can't just rely on my endocrinologist for everything. Cause I only see them 
at the time, I think I saw him every three months or six months, something like that. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you have to take control of that because they can't, or the system right now doesn't allow them to babysit you all the time. And your life changes relatively quickly. Like your life can change really fast in those three months and Mm -hmm. things can go downhill fast before you see your endocrinologist. And not only is it something that you have to do, uh, you know, when, so, when somebody hears the word that they have to do it ends up, it could be either an empowering thing or a very scary thing, yeah. right? Cause they feel like they can't rise to that occasion. Uh, but you know, we are here to tell you that you can mm-hmm. period. And there is so many resources out there, not just this podcast, but there's so many other podcasts, mm-hmm. blogs, social media, um, you know, this is what I hopefully an endocrinologist lives for and wouldn't be so controlling and say, only come to me for knowledge. Hopefully they can give you resources. This is what uh, certified diabetes educators are for. This is what mm-hmm. nutritionists, you know, you can, it's not only something you have to do, it's something you ought to do. And we're here to tell you that you can do it. Like you have this, if you are strong enough to get out of bed after sleeping as a diabetic, you know what we're talking about. If you're strong enough to get out of bed and face this thing every day, uh, you are strong enough to take control of your diabetes and, and to feel comfortable with making some of these changes. It can be scary, but this is literally where the awesome part comes in because then you can start living a life with a better health, a better diabetes health when you start making these changes. Um, so, the, so, the, so that's really empowering when you look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah, you um, ultimately, you are going to be taking control of your diabetes. Diabetes will then have less control over you beca- mm-hmm. because you have that control and you have it more dialed in. Because if you're constantly fighting lows or you're constantly fighting highs because you haven't changed your settings, man, that's just like a nightmare. And, right. um, but if you can't, if you do end up changing those settings and you get it dialed in, man, it's like, holy cow, the whole world has opened up and mm-hmm. new possibilities. Right. Whole new world. Uh, <laughs> and the second thing you were saying was, was your diet and things like intermittent fasting. Now uh, we, I don't think we've even had a, an episode about intermittent fasting uh, before um, and fasting. Uh, right. We haven't done one like that. No, yet. I think so. Not that I remember. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm 99% sure we have not. Uh, and there's a lot of cool, both Grady and I are fans of intermittent fasting. Uh, we'll have a deep dive on that and some other time. But uh, you, uh, what's cool about your pump is that you have settings for di- these different modes. And, uh, but instead of just going back on the pump and, and the settings and the basal rate uh, train, once again, you say highlighting how important it is to recognize the foods you eat and the control you have and the timing of the meals during the day will end up impacting your blood sugar at night. And not just the sleep quality in terms of the physiology of it all, but then the physiology of the blood sugar, which is what we're really talking about here. Not just the overall sleep quality. We're talking about how those things affect your blood sugar at night. Yeah. And the, and the intermittent fasting is just an example. It could be also the types of food that you're eating. Mm-hmm. So like if I eat, if I decide to eat late at night and I end up eating some vegetables versus eating like a big, heavy meal with lots of protein or lots of fat, then that's going to have a much different effect on my blood sugar and all my basal rates. 
at the same time, if you eat like a piece of pizza or a whole pizza uh, for for supper or even as soon as supper. So like say your supper is at six o'clock or seven o'clock. That's late enough that it can affect your blood sugar pretty much through the night. And that's something you have to take into account. But even if, but then you take that to the extreme and you eat that right before you go to bed. Yeah. That's definitely going to affect your blood sugar through the night mm-hmm. and, and it can have a big effect. So that's also things to think about when you're making those decisions, whether it be on the insulin side of things or the pure food choice, it's like, is it worth eating this food right now and sacrificing my blood sugar and blood, blood sugar control or should i just not eat it and that way i keep my settings the same i don't have to worry about my my blood sugar through the night because i know it'll be good Um, sometimes that in and of itself is enough reason to say okay i'm not gonna have that food because it's just gonna be a lot easier if i just don't yeah it's almost like in uh to put it in more of context let's say you've never had a certain type of food or brand of food or combination of foods at close to nighttime before uh you know in this type of advice it would be then logical if you've never done it before it'd be advisable to not eat it close to bedtime because once you're asleep and you can't uh, you can't fix it mm-hmm. then it's a, it can be one of the two things you'll either be or three things you'll be good low chance <laughs> probability um <laughs> Uh, a little bit higher chances you'll overcorrect and you'll have low blood sugar still a good chance but a lower possibility than the third option which is the highest possibility that you're not going to be giving your insulin correctly and whether it be the timing of it or the amount of it or both and you will end up high because of it Mm -hmm. right and that's the highest probability when you have something now i will take a step uh laterally and say because I, I probably am, I differ more on, on gradient at this point, just there is a something to be said about uh, restriction of food and lifestyle overall and the quality of life of living life. And if you're always making those decisions, it might, it, it can possibly create uh, situations where you could maybe create eating disorders or bad relationships with food. If you're always restricting yourself, like to say you will never, to, to take our that advice I said a minute ago fully at heart to never have something new like an hour or two before bedtime ever in the rest of your life whether you're 10 years old listening to this or even 70 80 years old that has 20 <laughs> years of life to live 30 plus you know that's unrealistic to say like you would never try something new close to bed mm-hmm. um and so don't limit yourself to that but ideally in a perfect world the short term, uh, satisfaction of trying something like that doesn't mean you can't have something, but I just want to bring the reality of sometimes you need to make the decision and just be wary of the consequences of high or low and the low chance that you nail it on the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you need to make the smart decision. Maybe you wait till the next day or you, you, you know, do something and you have it a little bit later, just not before bed, because once you go to sleep, that's, that's it. You can't fix it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I think the point, the ultimately the point is like understand that that's like that is a consequence so mm-hmm. whether you choose to or not um mm-hmm. that's ultimately something you want to think about before right. making that decision mm-hmm. um because like you said we differ 
on on this on the, on opposite sides because I'm very mm. much like I feel much more free when my diabetes is much easier to control. Right. Sometimes you feel more free when you're able to eat whatever you want. Right, 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 right. And uh, that that differ continues to increase the, yes. the longer we're not living together. <laughs> <laughs> Your claws and me are starting to come out. Yep. <laughs> and, and the true, the true Garrett is uh, coming about. I don't know why I said it like that. Um, but yeah, so so that that's something. So what you're doing before bed, giant giant impact, right? Yep. For all those reasons. Um, another aspect is which already goes into it, but specifically, and we could have a whole other episode on this, which we're kind of checking away anyways in terms of how different exercises uh, affect your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. But exercising close to bedtime yeah. affects blood sugar at night and overall insulin sensitivity. So being aware of that, um, you know, you might interact with another non-diabetic and say they can't work out, they can't lift or, or run before bed because they might not be able to get to sleep. Yeah. And that literally is an impact on blood sugar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's definitely going to impact uh, a type one as well, you know? Yep. Yeah. You have, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with that because there are a lot of points you can make with that because like if you work out before close to bedtime, one, any person who works out close to bedtime probably going to impact their sleep negatively because you have a lot of stuff flowing, adrenaline, you have all these hormones going around that are not necessarily inducive to good sleep. And Mm. then at the same time, if it's something, go ahead. So pause pause real fast. So even your non-diabetic patients, like if you're just working with somebody holistically in your office uh, and they're asking about exercise, as a general rule, you will tell them, try not to exercise close to bed, bedtime. If they ask me, like, or they say, like, I'm working out at like 10 p.m. or 9 p.m. or 8 p.m., depending mm-hmm. on what their bedtime is, it's like, yeah, probably not a good idea. Let's maybe try to do it before work or, you know, earlier in the day. Um, like, ultimately, if they're exercising, I'm usually pretty happy because sometimes it's really hard to get people to exercise anyways. So um, ultimately I think some exercise is better than no exercise, no matter what time it is. Um, But if we can structure it so that way it's not right before bed, then that's going to be the best. So Mm -hmm. if we can do it maybe before supper and let supper be later, that's probably a little bit better. Um, But yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So I interrupted your thought on overall, unless you already expanded on it of exercise and blood sugar before bedtime, the hormonal soup uh, you're about to elaborate on a little bit. Well, And then you have, when you add in type one diabetics perspective, you have what that's, what that's going to do to your blood sugar. Cause especially immediately after some form of exercise, that's usually when the biggest insulin sensitivity impact is going to occur. So your basal rates may be affected more so during that time than any other. And therefore you may be fighting lows through your sleeping. Um, And then it also can change based off of what type of exercise that is. So if it's like very similar to what you do anyways, so like normally you will run in the morning 
but you didn't have time to run this morning. So you ran at night before mm. close to when you went to bed. It's probably not going to have a crazy, like a really large impact on your blood sugar. Uh, you may still, you know, drop a little bit low or stay slightly lower than you normally do. However, if you don't usually work out at all, and then you do some form of exercise right before you go to bed, you're going to have a big impact on your blood sugar. And that's mm. going to be just the really chaotic event. And right. I'm trying to juggle that at night. So um, there's a little bit of context with it too. Absolutely. There's a whole lot of context. And uh, I was just thinking about this, the, was it this morning when I was running? Uh, but idea for a book I had was specifically like categorizing so many different types of exercises mm. and both with testimonials as well as um, actual pure literature reviews or studies on that specific exercise as well as um, you know kind of a third order you know or more just biochemical and, and cell signaling um descriptions of how those exercises work and how it affects blood sugars for type one and each chapter would be a different type of exercise but point is context matters a lot oh, yeah. and i actually re remember uh probably the one of the worst workouts i could have done before a bedtime this was when i was uh training for my second marathon that i ran and when i was doing that training cycle it was the least amount of training I've ever that I've done for my three marathons that I've, I've run. And because I was so stressed with school and everything else going on at the time, and I was missing a lot of training days, but one day that you cannot miss in, in uh, marathon training is your long runs. And I can't remember what day it was, but I think it was, I don't even think this was a long run, but it was a longer run. And this was like a, uh, this was supposed to be like a 17 miler or six, something like that. And for whatever reason, I decided that starting the run at 6 PM or 7 PM uh, in summer in St. Louis was a great idea. Um, the way I was framing gas, even that it was never this, it was always a little bit faster, but for always time's sake in my mind, I still to this day think about uh, 10 minute miles. And so it's like, well, if I'm going to run 17 miles, that's 170 minutes, right? And so that's, you know, almost three hours of running. Yeah. And I think I was so undertrained at that time that I started when I started running at like seven or maybe it was even later. Maybe it was like 730, like sunset and summertime was <laughs> actually happening. So maybe it was like closer to 8 p.m. I don't even know. I say sunset in the summertime is like 839. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, it was super late when I started this run. It was so silly. And, uh, I start this run and I'm under trained. And so not only am I late, had a full day, probably on low sleep doing this, during this run, but I can't finish it. And I get like 13, 14 miles in. And then I, I end up like walking, running, like I can make it like, it's fine. I just got to get there. Just however long it takes, Garrett, it's fine. However long it takes, just get it done. And I am physical was in so much pain. I had to call an Uber driver to pick me up. Um, and this, so this ends up being like 1130 at night. This guy picks me up at a Taco Bell. 
Uh, and I'm like drenched in sweat. I got salt crystals on me because the dehydration, hydration factor and just spilling out electrolytes. And, <laughs> and, and the guy picks me up so super late. And uh, I was just like, I'm so sorry. Like, I know I, I stank like this. Uh, this yeah. is bad for your car. I apologize. And so I get home and it's like midnight and I was able to pass out, but I can't remember the details. So the story of this context ends, but I can guarantee you my blood sugar was either went super high or super low. And I woke up several times, you know, and, and the context of how crazy that workout was, yeah, was, is by itself. Then you throw it at night and then that's another anywhere from four to eight hours. So anywhere from 13.3% to 33% of, of that day, then percentage of time in range, not in range. Because yeah. of how silly that decision of working out before that nighttime and then going to bed immediately afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Total Garrett move, right? Oh, yes. Classic Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so there's a lot of nuances because, uh, you know, we can and we, like I said, start to go into may, every now and then we we'll do an episode of a specific type of workout. And there's so many nuances within individual workouts that a type one needs to consider. But then you throw that on sleep, man, it just becomes a whole different ball game and not ball game. You will end up, chances are failing most times and not if you have a complicated workout followed by sleep immediately after, even if you can get to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about the effects of blood sugar on sleep. Let's also talk about how sleep then affects blood sugar because the next day, the day after. Yeah. So the day after. So, you know, obviously getting great sleep is, is always better because (laughs) everything functions much better. You recover much better blood sugar, blood, blood sugar, sensitivity, all that stuff gets much better. So it's a sensitivity. Yeah. So insulin sensitivity, <laughs> blood sugar Sorry. management, Just all that stuff. Out. Yeah. All that <laughs> stuff gets good. You're calling me out right before I call you out. So, <laughs> Fair so enough. on the other side of things, when sleep is not good specifically, um, I mean, let's just take the easiest example, which is just not getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not getting as deep a sleep or you're not getting deep sleep for long enough. And therefore the quality and the duration a lot of times suffer for that. So I notice with myself that when I don't get very much sleep and when I say very much sleep, I say generalize like that because, um, that's always relative to each person. Although mm-hmm. for the most part, I think that window is usually seven to eight hours. usually yeah. a good timing for people. Yeah, you start getting more than that, then sometimes that's too much sleep and that can affect you too. Um, Less than that, you start um, usually start seeing some effects from that. But essentially, getting not enough sleep, I definitely notice that my blood sugar is usually chronically higher throughout that pretty much whole day, whole next day, uh, because my cortisol levels are just kind of all over the place and usually fairly high because I didn't recover through the night. And my circadian mm-hmm. rhythm's all thrown off and everything. Mm-hmm. What about you? Well, I will. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost hard for me. It's almost hard for me to to relate uh, personally because it's I'm so sleep deprived that uh, I only know chronic. Uh, you know, yeah. 
it's like hyperglycemia it's right like now the, the hulk in the avengers like you want to know what my secret is I'm, I'm always, always angry. Yeah, that's <laughs> you're always well, that, sleep deprived. <laughs> well, that's literally how I sleep. So I literally fall asleep within a minute or less than a minute every time yeah. I go to bed. Um, so that's there's that. But I would say I can't comment on on this in terms of overall sleep need. Is that just because you feel good the next day doesn't mean you actually got enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Like I, because I've been averaging so low and I don't, I don't put a number on it. You know, I'll say I average anywhere from four to five and a half hours in reality, in terms of a range, Mm -hmm. um, that if just because you sleep that much or less, don't sleep that much, you're used to it. Your body can learn how to feel good, but it doesn't mean that you're metabolically healthy. Yeah, there's a huge difference on feeling just in general, feeling good and metabolic health. And that also includes on how you feel and your how good your sleep is. And I can say this because I feel good with the amount of sleep I have given. I literally fell asleep in my chair in my office today and a patient like woke me up and that was super embarrassing because it was like yeah. half a second, like I would like nod it off like and he was like, yo, Dr. Pano. And I was like, Yep, yep. And he totally like do like you totally saw me sleeping for, for that half second, which is actually embarrassing. Oh yes. Uh, <laughs> and so, but yet throughout the day, I, I felt great. But I know, and actually, because I just got new blood labs, I just know my metabolic health isn't where I would personally want it. So just because you feel good on less sleep, like if you say, Oh, all I need is six hours and you have no data to back that up, yeah. You you just feel good on six. Doesn't mean you're body response good yeah and also like what are the compensatory mechanisms that are making you feel that way whether that's endogenous like within your own body or exogenous on the outside so are you drinking like a ton of coffee are you taking all these stimulants to make you feel Mm -hmm. like you're feeling good right or and at the same time like you may feel good without those things but is that your adrenaline and your cortisol just driving right. up that whole day. And therefore you have those crashes in the middle of the day or at certain parts of the day. And you just feel terrible at that, at that time, because your cortisol cortisol can't stay high forever. It sometimes will crash and right. therefore um, then you feel it. So like you feel feeling good, feeling good. And then you crash. Well, there's something going on. That's not working right. Cause you shouldn't necessarily crash every, you know in the middle of the day like that yeah like literally like the story i just shared today yeah right yeah exactly (laughs) uh so by reflecting on when my metabolic health was better uh proper sleep definitely was a part of that Mm -hmm. so um i know my blood sugars react better i don't see this is probably the easiest thing to spot when you know sleep is affecting your blood sugars the day after it is taking you much more bolusing to get your blood sugar down. Mm-hmm. Now this can be confusing for, uh, for MDI. It's, it's easier to spot, but if you're a pump user, this can be confused. Cause you're like, well, maybe my port is messed up. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that can be the confusing uh, duality of not getting a blood sugar down. It's my port or something else going on. Um, but more times than not, when you're not getting enough sleep, it will take, more of a correction factor 
or it will take more insulin for the food the next day, or it will require more basal throughout the day just to have a steady, steadier level. And if you see yourself creeping up throughout the day when normally you wouldn't, that's a sign that your insulin resistance is higher and sensitivity is lower uh, based on your sleep performance the night before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes that can last a while because, you know, like obviously you're right now you're living in it. So that's your day to day. So you can kind of like adapt around it and make your basal settings reflect what you, what your insulin sensitivity sensitivity is. is. Exactly. And, um, but then for people who don't live in that and then they have a night of poor sleep, um, like for me, example, for an, an example, I don't know, it's been a couple of weeks now that I had a night where I gave into peer pressure and I stayed up late what? with my cousin. Oh, okay. And then like, you, you, you are invincible to peer pressure, but that, yeah, sure. Whatever. You can yeah. And so, but then I had to wake up early the next day. And so I only got like three hours, maybe three, four hours of sleep. And man, like I knew my blood sugar was going to be off that day, but it lasted for, I think at least two days, maybe even into the third day a little bit. And like, I wasn't necessarily, cause it had been a while since I had done something like that. And so I wasn't necessarily expecting it to last that long. And so I did, I did think that my pump site was, was bad. Yeah. And so, um, I ended up changing it, um, shortly, like kind of on that third day or right towards the end there. And I, uh, I looked at it, looked fine, put the new one in and my blood sugar was still hard to control. So I'm like, eh, it wasn't the port site. Right. Right. So, uh, that's when, yeah, that's the opposite when, when ends up being a change and it's still hard to control. So it happens though. It happens. And sometimes you, you know, if you're really good most of the time, it's it's life. You know, sometimes you got to have a little fun, Uh, whether it be hanging out with family members, uh, going to the club or staying late (laughs) on a project or, um, you know, a different element. This we're talking a lot about choice at this point, Mm. Um, but somebody's health could be so uh, jacked up and dysfunctional that they're dealing with insomnia. Yeah. Or they're dealing with uh, night terrors or, you know, there can be a different like a psychology part of this all too. Wait, it's not choice has little, not little choice is less of an emphasis, you know, but the resulting things would still be the same and, mm. and lack of sleep would have these effects um, on your body, which only makes it that much more important um, if you do fall in the category where, choice is not the biggest factor in that current condition to figure out metabolically what's contributing to those other conditions uh, and and attacking your health in that way as a major goal. So therefore impact sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like those things are definitely something you want to dial in and, and figure out like now, because not only does it have enough, a huge effect on your blood sugar, but it has a huge effect on how your overall body um, recovers and how it just works throughout the day. Cause if you're chronically not getting good sleep, then you're chronically stressed. And if right. you're chronically stressed, you're not healing very well. You're not going to be in that p- 
parasympathetic state that's going to get you resting and digesting and, and getting those bodily functions working well. And that's occurring throughout the whole day, not just when you yeah. sleep. Throughout the whole day, your body's not functioning at that optimal level. And therefore, over right. time, man, that really has a big effect. And so I'll take it even a, a, a step further. I agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I'll take it a step further in the elaboration of on this podcast and, and Dr. Grady and myself are at, in the position and belief, um, both of what we know from the literature and clinical practice, that a condition isn't a life sentence. Correct. That also includes type 1 diabetes and a different pr- perspective. Yeah. But a lot of conditions, uh, you know, to say you will always have insomnia is to limit your ability to think how you can heal out of it and what you can and can't do. Um, or to think that you're always going to have this psychological pressure uh, and, and can't heal out of that, that you're putting a, a barrier on the next step of your healing journey. And because that's what all of this is, it's a healing journey to get to the next place. And so if you feel like you have, well, like I was saying, well, that's great, but I can't do this because X, Y, Z, you know, 99% of the time, Dr. Grady and I would say, well, that's, we empathize with you feeling that way, but that's just not true. Mm-hmm. And you can get there. We just need to figure out the way to get there. Yep. With you. you just need the, uh, need the right guidance. And then ultimately mm-hmm. like making the right decisions. So whether that's right. the day-to-day decisions or, or what, or you know whatever it ends up being, but yeah, ultimately mm-hmm. trying to figure out how your body's functioning and then trying to support those systems that aren't functioning the way they need to be. Right. Right. So, so now we've talked about it in the, uh, almost in the timeline that is good storytelling of a movie. We gave you the present tense of, of what's happening when you sleep. And then we go in the past and we reveal the hero's journey of what happened in the past and say, what happened at sleep beforehand and go, you know, things leading up to the sleep. And then we go in the future and say, what happens the day after? So, um, but these are all three parts, the, the sleep itself, what happens leading up to it and the effects of a day after that absolutely should be considered. And they're almost three different uh, approaches, but that ended up being similar, but, uh, but all different categories still nonetheless of making goals of better sleep when it comes to being a diabetic and trying to get better numbers and better diabetic health. So, so then the next step of the hero's journey is what happens next after that? What happens the next day of sleep? Or in other words, what's happening after this episode ends? Because uh, we're coming to the conclusion of our, of our diabetes and sleep episode. But uh, I really want, and I know Grady feels the same way, I want to hear from you guys. Yeah. Uh, and, and I want, you know, feel free to email us and tell us about your sleep struggles or your sleep stories. Uh, whether it's a crazy low blood sugar, glucagon, life-saving experience like Dr. Grady had at one point. Or, uh, you know, just your thoughts on sleep and blood sugar. Uh, so, I, so I challenge you guys to send us some stories, whether it be email or on social or however uh, you want to get to us. And let's hear about some sleep. And I would love to interact with some of you all that way. Yeah. Yeah. Or comment on YouTube because these are on YouTube as well. So <laughs> shame, no, throw, not a shameless plug. Throwing that in there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So. Uh, I, I'll also ask, uh, because sleep is so important, 
um, that you guys are listening to share it to a friend or tell this podcast and this episode to a family member, um, whether they're diabetic or not, uh, and continue to you know spread this community that we have because this is by far word of mouth is how this podcast is growing and we love to see it grow um, even more so. Uh, so we would appreciate it so much if you continue to do that. We know so many of you already are. And uh, we, we thank you and, and we ask that you continue to do the, the same way because that is really how and why we're, we're trying to do this in the first place. Yep. We want to be able to interact with as many people as possible. So whether that's just purely you get to hear us talk on and on or you actually interact with us and give us feedback about whether it's just comments or or questions or whatever it is. Um, we, we love that stuff when we want to interact with as many people as we can, because we just love, we love type one diabetics. Um, and we want to have more diabetes to talk to. All right. So, um, fast round as we round up the, the hour then here, Grady, uh, what was one frustrating thing and one thing that you did well diabetic wise, uh, today? before we did this podcast Ooh, today okay so today was really nice out so i went and ran mm-hmm. uh, ran outside so i haven't been running very much at all the first time i ran i think i posted about it earlier this or this weekend or something like that mm-hmm. maybe it was on friday but anyways haven't been running very much and so seeing its effect on blood sugar is is interesting again and so um and trying to dial that in so when i ran today i think i ran like three and a half miles and then walked the rest of the way back to my truck because i just wanted to walk in the sunshine enjoy the sunshine and so um ultimately i had to drink lots and lots of juice boxes today as a result, I kept dropping low. Um, so it was good to get out in the sun and, and very freeing to do that. Uh, but at the same time, my body was not ready for it. And I had to, had to uh, compensate with a lot of juice boxes. Yeah, so that wasn't super fun to try yeah. and continue to fight that. But luckily, I put a lot of juice boxes in my bag because I, I originally just had like one or two in there. And then I'm like, ah, that's probably good enough, but I'll just throw a couple more in there. And I needed all of them. So that was a good, good thing that I did that. Yeah. And my, uh, similar, like good and bad thing that happened diabetes wise today was similar in that I ran this morning, but prior to me going to my gym. So I ran, so I did a double workout before work today. I I ran a 5k and then I went and did my CrossFit, uh, workout and, having those back to back, I ended up managing at the time really, really well. Um, but somehow it ended up, and then afterwards, like managed well, like I knew my blood sugar was going to go higher, like at least 10 minutes into the CrossFit workout. And, um, so I was able to change basil and bolus and and the run itself was spot on. So that was great. You know, that's only total time, 90 minutes, two hours worth of the day. And after, so it was frustrating that I was able to control it but man, my blood sugar was not stable at all. Like the second I like broke my fast and I had 
around 48 grams of carbs in terms of uh, granola or, or gluten, with gluten-free granola. And if there is such a thing, right. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, which I gave the right normal amount of insulin for, but, um, I went up high and then, man, I crashed so fast as I was seeing patients was like, Oh, and then I overcorrected on how much glucose tabs I, I had, like nine glucose tabs for Jeez. the rate I was falling, which was way too much. And then, but that, so I spiked from that, but that spike only lasted like 10 minutes. And then I was dropping and I was dropping low. And so I had this pretty big cycle, a fast turnover rate of high to low. And I won't say hot, fast turnover rate, but it was, it was not a yo-yo effect where I was like spiking to 300 and over bolusing. Mm-hmm. It was, I was correcting a low with a lot of sugar and then it quickly went away. And I, mm-hmm. my metabolism quickly used it. And it just wasn't stable, which eventually turned into later in the night, then it kind of getting a little bit higher. Now me correcting it the normal way, but with mm-hmm. insulin, but um, that was a frustrating part uh, of the day, but it happens. We mm-hmm. sh- uh, normal stuff happens and we're diabetic and tomorrow's a new day. And we just go from there. Yep. Live and learn, live and learn. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Diabetes Podcast, and we will catch you on the next episode. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you found value in today's conversation, we would appreciate it if you gave a five-star review. It really helps us branch out our community and get our message across to those who really need to hear it. If you want to interact with us on social media, you can follow us on the Die Buddies podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or moral outrages, you can email us at thediebuddiespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks.